Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is produced on Gadigal land. For so long, there has been that pay gap and there still is. So for so many of these women, they're not only juggling being an elite athlete, but also university, a family, a job. You know, they'll leave home at 8am to drop the kids off, go to work and then go to training in the evening, come home at 10pm and do it all over again. Sandra, you don't do that unless you really love something. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. G'day listeners, Sandra Sully here with another episode of Short Black. Now, today, everyone, it's all about Mary. Mary Constantopoulos is a sport advocate, an advocate fierce, loyal, loud and proud for women in sport, who began, I think this is the decade anniversary of Ladies Who League. Welcome. Thank you, Sandra. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled that you could make it. I really am. But I think it was about 10 years ago when you started Ladies Who League and I reached out, I don't know if you recall, to say, I love what you guys are doing. How did it all start? Because you are, you know, you've amassed an enormous following because of your support for women in sport. I promise, Sandra, I remember that message that you sent me all those years ago because the support of people like you along the way has just meant so much. But the truth of how it started is that I was a graduate at a corporate law firm. And rugby league is one of my favourite things in the world. I grew up with it. My dad loved it. I loved my dad and wanted to spend time with him on the weekend. He loved the Parramatta Eels, so now I love the Parramatta Eels and my whole family does. So rugby league is that topic that I go to when I meet someone new, just to break the ice and start conversation. And I was working with an incredible woman named Simone Wetton, who realised that I had this passion And she said to me, you should do something about this. And I said, nah, no one will really be interested in what I have to say. And she said, I want you to go home, think about it overnight. So I did, realised I had nothing to lose. And then the next day started a very dodgy blog, shall we say, (laughs) called Ladies Who League. And that was how it all started 10 years ago. And since then, you have built really an empire for women in sport and the podcast world. You write for so many different platforms. I think it's The Raw, The Code, a lot of the major newspapers. You're always writing about your passion, which is often rugby league, but not always. That's right, Sandra. So I have written for a lot of publications. I think what's important to note is that when I started, it was very much about promoting women involved in rugby league that I could see. And at that stage, it was very much volunteers, fans, women in the media, women in the administration. And those women all hold very important roles. But I didn't even know women played rugby league at that point. And I thought if I, as a you know, really passionate fan, didn't know that women played rugby league, then there would be others like me too. 
So that really set me on a path of discovering the Australian Jillaroos and the amazing women that played for that team. But then on a bit of a self-discovery when it came to women's sport more broadly. Were you surprised at the amount of and level of support that you received? Because, you know, I grew up with rugby league. I grew up every winter on the sideline of a rugby league or rugby union field with two brothers and a family that are diehard league people, you know. And uh, on a Saturday, it would be netball and hockey. And then we'd run to a rugby league field. And on Sunday, of course, you know, I was collecting bottles to, to cash in under Johnny Lang's mother's chair. So I grew up with it. And I think when I saw what you started, it really was a light bulb moment that we hadn't really called out the huge fan base. And let's face it, women are the backbone of sport, period. Mothers, sisters, they're doing the driving, the washing, they're getting the kids there. Yes, it was initially men, but now it's both. There was a real gap there, Sandra. And I remember, like, shame is a big word, but I felt almost a sense of shame that I didn't know that women were out there playing rugby league. And I think once I started discovering their stories, you know, women having to sell their cars to go on tour to represent their country, women selling raffle tickets in the pub just to have enough money to buy their jerseys or playing in oversized men's jerseys. I thought this to me is really inspirational and I want to start sharing these stories. And also why is there such disparity between our men's game and our women's game? That's across the board, except for an area like hockey. And I should declare that, Mary, you and I serve on the Hockey Australia board and and I promise our listeners it won't be all about hockey. It's not about that. It's about women in sport and elevating their voices. And what I noticed in the last couple of years, so I'm sure you've seen, I've been a huge fan of little Abby and her way. And we got her on Studio 10 because I saw her as Mini Mary. And hasn't she just taken off? She absolutely has. And I think that's really important, Sandra, that idea of you can't be what you can't say. I actually said that at a function recently and a little girl came up to me afterwards and said, why not? And I thought, that's the next generation coming through. That is amazing. But now women in sport are more visible. We have little boys and little girls growing up and are able to idolise people like Sam Kerr, Elise Perry, you know, Ruan Sims, Ali Brigginshaw. And that just wasn't the case a decade ago. And I think that's really important that they're visible role models for boys and for girls. So you started Ladies Who League, Ladies Who Leg Spin. This has blown out to Ladies Who Line Out, Ladies Who Leap, Ladies Who W League. How do you fit it in? You're a full-time lawyer at the Combank. When do you do this? That's a great question, Sandra. (laughs) I think we all lead busy lives and I think we all naturally gravitate to the things that we love. Sometimes it can look glamorous, like it's weird. People are like, you have this amazing life, so much sport, so many functions. Sandra, it is chaos sometimes in my house. Just trying to juggle everything, starting early, finishing late. But I always make time for the things that are important to me. And sport is something that is really important to me. Now, in 2017, you won the Edna Ryan Award for women who've made a feminist difference for sport. Best sports coverage by an individual digital in the 2019 Sports Australia Media Awards. And a women's agenda emerging female leader in sport in 2019. As I said, your day job's at the Combank. You're also on the board with me at Hockey Australia. What was the transition like from a sports fan to working at a board level for an NSO, a national sporting organisation? It was eye-opening, Sandra, and I think this is a really great conversation to be having because the level of seniority that we are at hockey, we sit on the board, so we have visibility of almost everything going on in the organisation, and it's the first time I've ever been able to see everything going on in an organisation. 
And I think it shows you just how much is going on and how sometimes we read about something in the media or we have thoughts as fans that perhaps aren't reflective of what is actually going on. So that was really eye-opening for me. And I think just the number of issues that are dealt with at a sports governance level, this is not me um, apologising for sports directors across the country, but so many of us are volunteers and we are in those positions because we love sport and we want it to be better. But there are a wide number of issues that sports are dealing with at the moment. And it is a lot for a group of volunteers to deal with. It is. And it's littered with minefields, with landmines everywhere. And yet all NSOs have a responsibility and the perception of being across all areas of sport where there are danger zones and red flags. I mean, right now it might be The Voice, it might be the, the Australia Day, it might be your reconciliation plan, it might be gender and equity, diversity. There's so many different areas. In the five years that you've been on a board of a national sporting organisation, what's your biggest lesson learned? My biggest lesson learned, Sandra, is truly about how committed people are to sport in this country. If I think about all the other directors that I've met, the people that work in sport often um, don't get the accolades they deserve, potentially don't get paid the way they deserve to be paid, but do it because they love it. And I think that's something that's really um, guided me towards women in sport as well, because for so long there has been that pay gap and there still is. So for so many of these women, they're not only juggling being an elite athlete, but also university, a family, a job. You know, they'll leave home at 8am to drop the kids off, go to work and then go to training in the evening, come home at 10pm and do it all over again. Sandra, you don't do that unless you really love something. Well, just recently, one of our major newspapers has started a, a supplement, you know, about women in sport and they flagged the issue about menstruation and how it was a no-go zone for any of us to talk about publicly. And you've got athletes like Kate Campbell coming out and saying what she's dealt with and, and the road, you know, that she's hoed, which has been exhausting. I'm just relieved and I, I wonder how you feel about issues like that finally being shed some light on. I am too, Sandra. And as we said earlier, Ladies Who League is 10 years old, but it's probably only been in the last two years that I've thought about something like menstruation and how it impacts our female athletes. And I think that's another area of real opportunity in terms of research on the female body and how different or not different it is to the male body and how issues like menstruation can potentially impact concussion. There's been so much focus on concussion at the moment from a male perspective, but are women different in that space? I don't think we've got all the answers yet. No, far from it. It's just a fascinating time to be a woman who loves sport. We've got the FIFA World Cup coming up and we all couldn't be more excited, whether you love soccer or football, whatever you want to call it. What do you think it's going to do for young Aussie girls in this country who want a career in sport? It's a moment in time, Sandra, and it's a moment in time, not just for the women competing and the women and men involved in getting the Matildas to this tournament, but also for all the people of the past that have fought this battle. I remember a similar moment in time was the final of the ICC T20 Women's World Cup at the MCG, record crowd, full MCG. I think we were both there. It was one of, honestly, Sandra, one of the best nights of my life. It was truly incredible. And I reflect on that time and I feel so lucky, not only that Australia got there because there were some ups and downs during the tournament, but the pandemic hit like a week later. <laughs> if we had been a week later, that final wouldn't have happened. 
And if I think about how strong women's cricket is in this country, there's women's ashes going on at the moment and huge interest about that. This will just continue to propel the conversation around the Matildas. And I think everyone in attendance will feel something about being there for that moment. I remember that day so well because I was running an event at the MCG for International Women's Day. And we were the first ever female event held in the hallowed official men's only room, the boardroom of the MCC, the first time they ever had a women's event. And then we capped it off that night by going to watch that incredible final. And, you know, what it did in terms of the profile of women in sport, it captured audiences far and wide, globally, but also across genders, age groups, ethnicities, you name it. Sport cuts through like nothing else. I completely agree, Sandra. And that's why, you know, sometimes I do tackle really difficult issues because sport brings us together in a way that almost nothing else positive can. And I think sport has a real opportunity to be a leader on some of those trickier issues. Now, you are a leader on a number of tricky issues, and only recently. And I wonder where this courage comes from, because you're writing for these platforms, but you called out a a rugby league club recently because they elevated someone in their leadership group who you believe was inappropriate. Tell me the process in actually putting that together, and did you have to find a courage button to say, yep, hit send? I'm glad you call it a courage button, Sandra, because it's absolutely something that has developed over my time. So I remember when I started Ladies Who League, there were certain topics that I just did not have the courage to touch. Uh, Domestic violence would have been one of them. It's certainly a challenging issue and I wanted to make sure that I had as much information as I could and that I had the right language. But to be honest, Sandra, there is a really powerful women in sport community here in Australia, and that comprises men, women, everyone. And we are like a little community of people that support each other. And whenever I write something tricky, I know that I have the support of those people. So it really gives me confidence to write about those tricky issues and and hit the publish button. I think, Sandra, there's an interlinked issue there of trolling. And it's something that I've dealt with throughout the 10 years. That's where I was going to next, because I watched the fallout. Right. And it was fierce. You know, and then a lot of us just got behind you and and retweeted and supported what you were saying. Whether you have a view about the individual or not, I supported your right to say it. I supported you on a number of levels and I don't need to expose myself in that sense because that's a personal view. But the level of trolling is fierce. And when you find that courage button and hit publish, you know the backlash is going to be exceptional. Absolutely. And Sandra, to be honest, there are some articles I write where I don't read the comments. Other times, Sandra, I think about that support network that I have around me and the 10 people in my life whose feedback I'm really, really interested in. And if they are telling me that they don't agree or that I've potentially gone down the wrong path or could I think about things differently, they're the opinions that I want to take on, not the opinions of, I don't know, what can we call them, at unhappy with your opinion 742 on Twitter. That's been something that's really held strong. And Brene Brown is someone that I love. I love her books. I love her podcasts. And one of her sayings is, if you're not in the arena kicking butt with me, then I'm not really interested in your opinion. And I take strength from that, Sandra, because it's not always easy to do this work. And and I'm sure you feel the same. Yeah, you know, I've already accepted a lot of people don't like me and it's okay. They're not going to like me for whatever reason and you can't win everyone over. But when you're putting yourself out there as a columnist with an opinion, 
in not just women in sport but rugby league specifically because it's your personal passion you know it's a big leap of faith and you're putting yourself out there how have you managed that fallout you say you just choose not to listen do you turn off comments do you just not look at twitter for example or instagram what's what's your social media of choice Oh, mine is definitely Twitter. I absolutely love it. And it's connected me to so many wonderful individuals. I have a couple of strategies, to be honest, Sandra. I always just come back to my values and why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. It's not really about attacking a club or attacking a player or a personal vendetta. It is because I want sport to be the best that it can be. And when you want something to be the best it can be, sometimes that means asking difficult questions and challenging it to be better. That's usually the approach that I'm coming from and that often holds me strong. Sometimes I'll be a bit cheeky and mute a conversation on Twitter so that people can continue to comment as they wish, but I don't see it. <laughs> and other times I just, I just don't read it, Sandra. But you know, that's good advice. That's good advice, I suspect, for a lot of athletes who may be listening in whatever endeavour and passion they explore. Because what's difficult, I think, for athletes is the need to be popular and to be liked. And we know as, you know, particularly, you know, I'm so much older than you, Mary, you reach a point in your life where you're far more comfortable just being who you are and accepting that not everyone's going to like you. But I do find it really difficult for athletes because criticism is hard for them. There's a conversation here, Sandra, about, you know, athlete misbehaviour and athletes stepping out of line. This isn't, an, you know, a place to excuse poor behaviour, but I think about the pressure on some of these very, very young people and I think about myself at 18 years old and having hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter or Instagram and potentially not having the tools to be able to deal with that. So I understand why that would be really, really hard, especially in a sport like rugby league where people really, really ride the highs and the lows. We've seen it get quite personal for a lot of players. And, and as a young person, I would find that really difficult. As you know, I'm from Queensland, so of course I'm a Maroon. And recently, Reese Walsh appeared at the judiciary and he copped a lot of flack, not just for what he did, but the way he appeared at the judiciary. Do you cut him any slack given he's, you know, 21 and a rising superstar? He's 21 years old. I, how he appeared at the judiciary, I mean, I think someone said that he appeared as Justin Bieber. With a bit of bling. We've yeah. all, all got our sense of style. So I, I think from that perspective, certainly no issue there. I think the issue around referees is a really important one, though, because I feel like there is a level of disrespect in rugby league by everyone. That's not, not just players, but by fans. And I think it's really important that we stamp that out. It's funny, you know, when I go to, say, a basketball event, it's part of the culture for them to boo the rival players and decisions. And I find that really difficult. Some sports, it's just de rigueur. You know, it's, it's acceptable. Is that a rub for you? I mean, because I know you go to netball. I, I went to the netball semi-final the other night, which was just awesome. Netball, they weren't booing. Basketball, they do. And yet when I'm at basketball, it initially jolts me. And then I think, well, this is the landscape and the culture that they're comfortable with. But gosh, it's tricky. Every sport is different, Sandra, and every sport has a different vibe. How did you feel at the netball? I felt like everyone was just having such a great time. Oh, it was awesome. That's the vibe that I get from netball every single time I go. When I go to rugby league, there is a man that sits, I don't know, five or six rows behind me and will yell at the referee from the start of the game to the end. 
And I find that really hard. <laughs> I'm not a booer personally. No. Are you a booer? No, no, I don't. I can't do it. Mm-mm. And I don't like hearing it. No. You know, I respect everyone's right to have a view, but I think, really, the guys or the woman is just out there doing their best? Trying. And Sandra, they're often their harshest critic. Yeah, exactly. Someone's walking off the field after losing the first half 32 nil. Your boo's not really adding to their disappointment, I don't think. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now, recently, you had the chance to call the Women's Origin game for SEN. Tell us a little bit about that. I don't know whether you've ever found this, Sandra, but, um, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and there have been so many amazing moments along the way. So I really like to pinch myself sometimes and just remind myself of what I'm about to do and the opportunity. At the end of the call, Jimmy Smith asked me, how are you feeling? Because I did two games and, you know, New South Wales obviously won that second game but lost the series. You're not looking at me as you say that. No, that's you know okay. I'm <laughs> raging for the other team. Absolutely. Um, and he said, how are you feeling? And I said, you know, I feel great. The opportunity to call a women's state of origin will never, ever be lost on me. It was a wonderful opportunity, so much fun. And to see how much engagement there was around the women's game was just so uplifting. I mean, I had a similar moment last year, Sandra, when Parramatta made the grand final in the men's and the women's. Everyone who knows me knows that I'm like a tragic Parramatta Eels fan. It's you are. I know. Like it's yeah. bordering on like <laughs> something, something very sad. Anyway, the last time Parramatta made a grand final was 2009 prior to this one. And I dressed up with my friends that day. We went and had a great time. And then 10 years later, I had the chance to speak at the Eels grand final lunch. Then I called the women's game with SEN. And then I went and spent some time with, you know, people that I love cheering on the men. And I just thought, I've come such a long way in 10 years. It wasn't about me, but just for me personally, I had that little moment where I reflected and thought, you know what, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of me. You should be. You've achieved a tremendous amount. I want to know, though, with that footy call, any ambitions to be an announcer and a caller of sport? To be honest, Sandra, I would absolutely love to do guest commentary. I love giving special comments because I'm the person that knows the player's nickname, what they had for breakfast, their favourite pet. I do. That's the stuff that I really love to share with people. And I think it helps people to connect with others because it humanises them. So I would love to do that. What are the conversations like with your mum and dad? Because you fell in love with Lee because you wanted to spend more time with your dad. It's pretty similar for me, really. You know, I had two older brothers and my father loved rugby league and I was always a part of their world if I not just followed them and went to the game and played in the background, but literally understood the game. So when the conversations happened around the dinner table, you know, I I always encourage young women who I know to find a sport that's dual gender because it's a great conversation starter. But 
tell me about your mum and your dad because they must be tickled pink. I'll tell you about my mum first, Sandra. So my mum is my best friend. I love her so much. We talk every single day at least once. But Sandra, my mum does not like rugby league. <laughs> she cannot stand it. Really? And really struggles during rugby league season because we are a family that watches almost all the games. Every weekend, four days straight. My dad especially loves to watch as many as he can. So my mum really struggles when rugby league season starts and she gets really excited in September because it's about to end. But Sandra, my mum is my number one fan. And even though isn't a fan of rugby league, she is definitely a fan of mine. So we'll come along to games, we'll come along to events with me. And she is really, really proud. And to have a woman proud of me that I am so proud to have as a mum is something really special. Dad is also really, really proud. We have very, very uh, like fierce conversations about some of these topical issues. And I think he's really not grown as a person. I don't want to say my dad's grown as a person, but I think he's a product of his generation, though. Yeah, opened his eyes when it comes to women's sport. And now when I go home and see him watching women's sport, it's, you know, it's a real joy. It's something we can share. Pretty gratifying. Look, obviously, there's still an uneven playing field when it comes to women in sport, but it is slowly changing for the better. Where else do we need to go and what still needs to be done? I'm really passionate about facilities, Sandra, and I know that sounds a little bit like a lower issue, but we'll see clubs putting in applications for licences to join competitions, but they're not having the appropriate facilities for women to be able to, you know, get changed safely or a place for them to train safely. And I think that's a real problem. So that's something I'm really interested in. I think from a media perspective, there's been a lot of change. But Sandra, you work in a place where decisions have to be made about, you know, where you send the camera, for example. If we have a separate camera, if we, if we have someone free, it's a numbers game. And I think that's something that perhaps people don't always understand. And I think about it in, say, the context of state of origin. We had a men's game on a Wednesday and a women's game on a Thursday. So potentially how those resources are allocated to make sure that both games get the coverage can be challenging. So Mary, you're the only daughter, but you've got two brothers. How do they feel about you often raising issues that they hadn't even considered? They love it. They love it. And I think for them, Sandra, it's been really eye-opening. I love bringing them along with me. I mean, the purpose of what I do is just to make people more informed about women in sport, whether that's female athletes, female administrators. I've had friends say to me, oh, I've, you know, learned about that athlete through you. And that's really special to me and really, really rewarding because these are incredible people that should have their stories known. Now, at a national sporting organisation, as you and I both know, there are so many things that you, you simply can't tell the public about what's going on, but the, the governance at NSOs is pretty next level. What would your advice be to other women who are keen to be involved in the national sporting organisation? I would say do it. I really would because there are so many talented people out there, Sandra. And I think the beautiful thing about sport is that I really believe there's a role for everyone, whether that's as a volunteer, a player, a fan or someone sitting on the board. I would make sure, though, that you go in with your eyes wide open and do as much research about the sport as you can. Before joining hockey, I probably should have done a little bit more research. That's not to say anything negative about hockey, but I was just so excited by the opportunity that I said, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Say yes, but do your research and go in there with a sense of wanting to serve the sport because, Sandra, that's really what it's all about. It's not accolades or money or fancy trips over. It's none of that. 
It's about wanting to leave the sport in a better place. And if you come with that attitude and that's why you want to join a sport board, all power to you and go for it. You know, I often refer to the uh, Blue Blazers set, the old boys club that used to run sport in Australia, and it's changed dramatically, but only through the fierceness of people such as yourself calling out poor behaviour or inappropriate behaviour. And also, I think, you know, as you climb your way up the ladder, leaving the ladder down for others to come through and to come up with you. The doors are often open for men at board level, so much easier because the network is embedded in the psyche of sport in this country. What other ways do you think we can open up the field for other women to be elevated to boards? Because for me, I've been on the Hockey Australia board for 10 years and it has been the the most incredible learning curve, always a privilege, but gosh, I've learned so much about governance and sport and I still do to this day. And we can acknowledge that as a sport, we've had some pretty tough times in the last 10 years, haven't we? We sure have. And Sandra, I've been on the board now four years. And I think about some of those challenging issues that we've overcome. So when people ask me how my time has been, I often say I'm either the luckiest or the unluckiest director. I'm unlucky because there have been pretty much some challenging issues from the year I started. I started in the COVID year and that was a completely different set of challenges that we were navigating. But I'm also the luckiest because I've learnt so, so much and been reminded by the people around me how passionate they are about the sport and doing their best for it. So that has just been such a wonderful experience, an experience that I will take forward wherever I go. So extremely grateful for that. I know we won't keep you forever at Hockey Australia, although I know you'll always be a fan. I, somebody did tell me you strapped on some kit recently and, and actually had a crack at the game. How'd you go? I did, Sandra. So I played hockey all through school and absolutely loved it. So I hadn't played for many years. And then one of our fellow board members, Joe Scanlon, said, I've got a local club. Promise me you'll come and have a run around. And I said, OK, OK. So I'm playing for Briars Hockey Club. It's been a bit of a start-stop season, but so much fun. So I encourage anyone out there that's feeling nervousness about trying something new, uh, it's never too late and give it a go. Now, there's so much competition in the sporting landscape for numbers. We know in hockey, you know, cricket, AFL, AFL women's, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. There's so much competition to build your tribe. And as you know, I'm really passionate about the social sports space because I think for someone who I've played hockey and and a number of other sports, but as you get older, you're increasingly time poor. Are you seeing the same sort of issues confronted by a number of sports that, you know, I think we should be moving more to like larger teams playing midweek, one night a week, you can get your sport fix, you get your fitness fix and your weekends are still free. But I can't get everyone over the line, Mary, I need help. I couldn't agree more, Sandra. And if I reflect on my own journey with sport, when I finished high school and went to law school, that was when I stopped playing team sport because I was so focused on my studies. I just didn't have the time to be able to commit. So I started doing individual sports. What I've loved so much about this hockey team is that it doesn't matter if you're not free on the weekend, that's fine. There's plenty of players, we'll find someone else. You don't have to go to training. If sport is about getting everyone out there and physically active, playing or doing whatever they want to do, then I think we need to be moving to those models because people are time poor and need that flexibility. Right now, there's a major controversy about gambling online and there is a a pitch to government and it's a bipartisan to sort of have a three-year plan to get rid of it, essentially. Do you think sport can survive without gambling revenue? 
I think it can, Sandra. It's going to be a challenge. It could be an opportunity is probably the word that I use more. I think about tobacco sponsorship, however long ago that was. Sport will move on from this. And if we no longer have gambling revenue, I suppose for women's sport in particular, I'd like to challenge organisations out there. Who's going to fill the gap? Yeah, I think it was actually Cricket New South Wales that actually, in my view, led the way here. They partnered with an anti-gambling sponsor, which, you know, no one else had thought of. Everyone lives in fear of the gambling dollar disappearing. I will say, you know, hockey 10 years ago had an ambitious plan to get off the government teat and at least try and get it 50-50. Taxpayers complain that, you know, they can't afford sport the way we used to, but we've got Olympics on the doorstep. Where do we go from here? I think it goes back to that creativity point, Sandra. And in the past, I think women's sport was seen as a bit of a risk by organisations to get involved with. If I think about the success of the Australian women's cricket team, not just on the field, but off it too, that's where I'd be wanting to put my dollars. And so I challenge organisations to step up because I think you're right, Sandra, those years of reliance on that government funding, I think are behind us. And I think as people involved in sport, we need to be more creative about where those dollars are coming from. Mary, often in national sporting organisations and any organisation, look at PwC at the moment, you go through some really tough times and it's front page of the media. And for the Hockey Roos and the Kookaburras, we've had some experiences in the last 10 years, in particular with the Roos, and that's been a really difficult time. In hindsight, how do you look back on that period and what do you think you learnt, what you learned? It was hell, Sandra, at the time. And I think particularly hellish for me because as someone that is passionate about women's sport, to hear about some of the challenges our athletes were facing was heartbreaking. So we had division in the team, allegedly, and a cultural problem. Any other issues I haven't nailed right now? I think that's fair enough, Sandra. I look back now, though, and I'm not really happy. That's the wrong word, but in a way, grateful that it happened. There are a number of sports that have had challenges recently. Swimming, gymnastics, netball. Athlete well-being is something really important, and it's changed a lot over the last decade. So I think... I'm really glad that our athletes told us and that we were able to make changes. And I think this is an issue that will keep coming up for sport as we continue to you know, work with our athletes on, on what they need to be successful. What increasingly becomes apparent, for example, when we look at what happened at netball, is the need for stakeholder engagement. What does that term mean to you? To me, Sandra, it means nothing about us without us. And it means just bringing people along on the journey. Because, Sandra, there might be a tricky issue that you and I disagree on, but if I tell you my thoughts and you tell me yours, perhaps we can come to an understanding, or at least I know why you feel the way that you do, rather than you reading in the newspaper the next day that a decision has been made which you fundamentally disagree with. I think about the Manly Sea Eagles and the release of their Pride jersey last year, and for me that was a failure of governance. The jerseys arrived on a Monday morning and the players were expected to wear them, Well, what conversations were had with those players? And additionally, when you're talking about the LGBTQI plus community, why would you make a representation about your organisation without engaging the people in it? It always gets down to culture. As I've said, I've been on that board for 10 years and it doesn't matter whether it's sport or whether it's business. Is it fair to say if the culture's not right, it ain't going to work? Agree, 100%. And I think that that is... So important when you are sort of navigating, particularly the corporate world. So often we see people promoted on the basis of their technical expertise. 
and then they are charged with leading a team, you've got to have the values and the culture right because if that element isn't working, something is going to go wrong down the line and it won't be handled in the right way. Now, we hear the term culture a lot and I think you and I have a pretty similar understanding, but for those that don't appreciate how important culture is in an organisation, how would you describe the term culture? It's almost the vibe of the place, Sandra. It's how you feel when you walk into the organisation. And I think so many organisations have values and, you know, that contribute to culture. But if the people in that organisation don't know what the values are, then they're not going to be strong contributors to culture. And it's different for every organisation. Like we could look at the values of the kookaburras versus the hockey roos. They'll be different. It doesn't mean they're wrong. They'll just feel different. It's like walking into any of the big four banks. They all feel different. Nothing's wrong. It's just different. I think one of the big drawbacks in sport in particular is there's always been, it's just me speaking, a sense of entitlement for a lot of older men in sport who believe that, and look, I get it, they're driven by passion and they want to stay connected and engaged, but they're not allowing anyone else through. What's the problem with that scenario, which we see writ large in just about every sport? I find it deeply problematic, Sandra, and I'm about to say something kind of funny. I'm deeply passionate about succession planning. So when I joined the board of Hockey Australia, I always had in the back of my mind, who's coming next? Because Sandra, after a certain point, you've not contributed everything you have, but there's an opportunity for fresh ideas or a fresh perspective. And if someone's been at the helm for an org- of an organisation for over 20 years, it's potentially time to go and do something else. And that doesn't necessarily lessen your connection to the organisation. I know with the Parramatta Eels, for example, I don't sit on the board, but I feel deeply connected to that organisation and probably always will. So I think succession planning is hugely important and I think it gives an opportunity for the next generation of people to contribute their thoughts and perspectives. Why do you think then so many men feel entitled to sort of stay forever? I wonder, Sandra, whether it's because they don't think that there's anyone that can potentially do that job. I wonder whether it's because that organisation is just so deeply ingrained within them. Or I wonder as well, and it's not necessarily men, anyone, just enjoys the power, the privilege and the opportunity that sitting on a board presents at times. And I think the flip side of that, to be fair to everyone who has had a very long career in a sporting organisation, it's originally driven by a passion to help and make a difference. And as you get older, it keeps you connected to something you're passionate about. So I'm not always sure that everyone is wedded to the adrenaline rush and the power as opposed to if it goes away, what do I do? Exactly. And you see it with people that potentially don't retire as well. That organisational work is so important to them that they don't really know what their life looks like without it. I think it's important that we support those people. Yeah, and find the right soft landing so they stay connected but allow fresh blood, fresh eyes, fresh energy through. Exactly. It goes back to that point that I made before about there always being a place for you in sport. It's just finding what that spot looks like. So, Mary, as you know, I'm passionate about (laughs) crash tackling sponsors for our beloved sport. And I have been known at a Logies to crash tackle the creators of Bluey because Chili, Bluey's mum, plays hockey. And don't you think 
Chile should be sporting a ruse jumper and making a crack at the national team. I do, Sandra, and I'm giggling because I don't think you need an excuse to crash tackle the creators <laughs> of Bluey, whether it's at a Logies or any other event. I love that show. It's a beautiful show and I would love to see Chile make her debut for the Hockey Roos. Well, you know, I think if we tag in the creators of Bluey here on this podcast and through our social networks, we might just continue to apply pressure because, Mary, I can't be the only one. For four years I've been saying, why isn't Chile in a Roos jumper? With the Olympics coming up, maybe we can twist their arms a bit more. Leave it with me, Sandra. Well, Mary Constantopoulos, it has been an absolute privilege and a pleasure to have you here as part of Short Black. You know I love what you do, who you are, everything you stand for, and I wish you the very best. For anyone listening today, keep an eye out for Mary Constantopoulos and the ladies who league, the ladies who leg spin, the ladies who line up, the ladies who leap, and the ladies who W league. The future is unreal, and I'm going to watch your career soar. Thanks so much, Mary. Thanks, Sandra. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.